Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Probably one of the best things about running this organization is all the cool people I get to meet. Um, and sort of the more that I am out there, the more really interesting people end up contacting us, sort of, I don't know, getting involved in one way or another. Um, and even, you know, after I became observant, I sort of landed in the right wing side of the modern Orthodox world. And I've certainly had exposure to um, different parts of different Orthodox communities. Um, and with our work with Project Makom, we certainly um, see negative stuff coming out of the Haredi world. And it's a challenge to constantly sort of be realistic about what the challenges are, but also um, positive enough to see all the goodness. And that's sort of a, a daily thing that I struggle with. Um, and so while we put out stories about struggles that people have, we also like to show all the positive and wonderful things that exist in the Hasidish and Haredi world, um, because we can't get all negative because that's not the reality. Um, and someone who can probably showcase positivity and some of the best stuff coming out of the Hasidic world is uh, our guest today. His name is Yoyli Leibovitz. We got connected a few years ago when we filmed a video, Hasidic Jews watched Fiddler on the Roof for the first time. He wasn't in that video, but we did a video afterwards, um, sort of breaking down stereotypes about um, you know things you wouldn't expect Hasidic Jews to, to be into or have interest in. Um, and I'm so excited to welcome to our show today. Yoli, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So you sort of got your start with us, a little bit of acting, but really uh, your your main profession is a badchan, is a Hasidic comedian. Am I correct? That's correct. So now growing up, um, I, I would say one of my biggest sort of um, thoughts about the Hasidic community, and again, this was definitely from outside looking in, it always seemed to me like Hasidic Jews were so serious. Like I didn't know any up close and personal, but when I'd walk down the street in Manhattan, people just always had a very serious look on their face and didn't really seem to smile so much. And Jews, I think, are known so much for comedy. And then, you know, when I would look at my fellow Jewish brethren and see so much seriousness, um, it was sort of confusing, like what happened there? So, I mean, you're obviously making jokes and being silly um, all day long. So is this something real that I picked up? Was I just seeing the most serious ones? And um, and then there were kind of more smiley people that weren't coming to the Diamond District in Manhattan. Do you have any thoughts about sort of maybe a more serious exterior that Hasidim may present to the world? Of course, I understand the question because you're right that you see mostly Hasidim more on a serious note when you see them on the street. But that's not because they don't laugh because nobody knows, nobody saw more <laughs> laughter on Hasidim than, than me and uh, many people like me like, like do what I do. I've seen so many Hasidim laughing better. 99% of the Hasidim that I speak to are laughing hysterically when I speak. So they know how to laugh and they love to laugh. And laughter is actually something that is encouraged with many Hasidic uh, teachings. Um, but there's also, it's also encouraged modesty as far as you know, you won't see Hasidim um, uh, doing uh, many things that are too loud or or uh, too um, uh, notice. They, they, they don't want to get noticed too, 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 like... They too don't attention laugh. getting, too attention getting. Yeah, yeah. They just do their thing and, uh, but of course they love to laugh. And uh, uh, it's, I, for, to me personally, my favorite audiences are the most ultra Hasidim because they don't have any access to any secular comedy and and it's so it's so good to see them laugh and they love to laugh so you know you get a chance to to 
tap into the to that um, to the laughter is it's amazing. So, um, what is your background growing up? Where did you grow up uh, in terms of location? In terms of what Hasidis? Okay, they're both are very complicated questions. A good question, but complicated answers. I grew up, and my name is a very evident name. My name is Yoyo. I'm named after the Sapmer Rebbe. And, um, but not only am I named, I'm the first one named after him. So my life started already. What? <laughs> I'm the, the very first Yoel named after Sapmer Rebbe. How oh. much were you born after he passed away? Oh, I was born before he passed away. I was born four weeks before he passed away. And I, they couldn't make my bris because uh, I wasn't, um, I, I had, uh, I don't know how you call it. it, was I was yellow. Okay, jaundice, and yeah. Jaundice, that's right. And um, so, and exactly that morning that the, that the bris finally uh, is, was ready to happen, it was a Sunday morning, I remember it like today. Uh, well, I don't, um, <laughs> um, but, I, but I was there. So it was a Sunday morning and, um, and the, the room was packed and there was, they were finally ready to make the bris because they had a few close calls that they thought maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. But then the Moyle gave the go ahead and said, now um, he's healthy enough for it and it's good. And that morning the news came in that the Rebbe passed away. So um, at my bris, actually, I heard someone recently told me that your name is not Yoyo. I said, what are you talking about? He says, I was there at the bris. Your name is not Yoyo. I said, oh my gosh, it's a new revelation. What's going on? What's my name? He says, your name is Yoyo. Yo, 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 yo. He says, when, when they said their name, everyone was crying. Oy. They couldn't say the name because they were so close to the Rebbe that they, it was like, a, it was, and, and because by Ashkenazim and Hasidim, they don't give a name after someone else mm-hmm. uh, before the, the person passes on. Mm-hmm. So there was no one giving yoils while he was alive, but he wow. lived 93 years. And, and when he passed away, um, I was the first yoil out of many, many, many yoils, as you can see on uh, social media and everywhere else. Wow, that's that's a good claim to fame. Okay, so so that's where you so you grew up in Satmar and and what uh, community? So I grew up in Satmar. I was born sort of in Williamsburg, but then I, I was in Montreal for a while, and then I went back to Williamsburg, and then I learned in London and in Israel, and I went back in New York, um, and uh, yeah. That's so you've been all over. So how does one? Well, first of all, were you just always funny? I'm saying, were you kind of just the, you know, the class clown or the person to make your people laugh? I'm saying in your family, my grandmother told me that I was going to grow up to be a comedian, so I was kind of that person in my family. Were you that one in your family? I could say that I was sort of the, the saying in a, in a very serious time. I would say some, one line, and everyone was burst out laughing. <laughs> um, and in class, I got into trouble sometimes about it. Um, but I did it more out of necessity. I, I didn't have the easiest uh, childhood. My parents were divorced when I was three, and I was like, I was uh, thrown around in certain places, uh, in in a nice way. But but I needed I needed to have it um, just as a, as a, as a nice uh, as a as I used it as yeah. As, and and I and I sort of in our family we you know we generally didn't like when something serious happened. We always found something humorous to lighten up the mood. And I guess in class, they knew about it. And when my friends started getting married, they called me, uh, do, do this, do that. And at the beginning, I did it just for fun for my friends, you know, and everyone was laughing. They loved it. Then mm-hmm. someone gave me, I spoke uh, 10 minutes somewhere, and the guy gave me 20 bucks. And I was like, whoa, whoa. Wow, that's <laughs> you make so money. <laughs> you know, even uh, I, I remember then it was like $7 an hour, uh, you know, a normal uh, 
And I'm like, twenty thousand. I just like, whoa. And 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 then the rest is history. As as people started calling me more, and I started doing plays and and other things that got me onto uh, people's ears and. And they started booking me, and I started charging money, and the rest is history. Twenty-two years later, I'm here on the June the City show. And so now, now you finally made it. So um, before, before you thought that you were going to make money telling jokes, um, was there another sort of trajectory? Were you planning on sitting and learning, or being a rebbe? Or was there something else you had in mind? I did not have this in mind. And I, when I got married, I I sort of wanted to stop and become a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, my wife said, "What are you? What are you talking about? You're you're so funny. People people love you. And why not just charge a little bit more? Because now you have to support two people. Right. And as the, we started having to support more and more people, can I now? Now we have five children. Uh, the prices went up accordingly. Um, and uh, so Baruch Hashem, yeah. I've since then, in the past 22 years, I've been in many many countries and, and places all over the world performed made laugh, made people laugh in africa and in uh, in, uh, in brazil and in uh, tunisia and in morocco wherever it shall be england europe I've, I've had many places where i've seen different people from different backgrounds different languages different cultures all laughing at humor and i realized that it's an international language that I get to connect, and I love doing it. When I go with my friends, I was in Azerbaijan. I had no idea who they are. And I'm like walking down the streets, and my challenge was, let's see if we can make that person laugh. We can make that people. And we had a great time. We were there, and and uh, we, we turned over that little, little old town over there, and everyone was laughing and had a great time. Okay, so you're not just speaking to Hasidim. You're speaking to audiences, Jewish, non-Jewish. It's completely. Of course, uh, mostly I do speak to Hasidim because you know most of my work is in the Sheva Bruchas and 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 you know in the tri-state area and in Israel and Europe for the for the Hasidic community. But I've done many shows in uh, non-Hasidic and in even non-Jewish hmm. venues that I've that I've performed at, and um, you know it's a little different because the you know of course the content in some places where it's very funny, other places won't even understand what you meant with that. Um, so it's, 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 it's important to know your audience, but I've done, I remember 20 years ago, I was, I was doing about, about 20 years ago, 19 years ago, I did in Scotland. It was the first time I did something in Scotland, in Glasgow. And I remember I, I was very nervous because the audience was totally something I wasn't used to. Mm-hmm. But then after the show, they came over to me and I remember they said, you should go to you should go to Hollywood. And it, it, <laughs> it was unbelievable. And it was like, they were so amazing. They loved, and I, I was, I felt so uh, fulfilled that, that I could do that to people that I'm, that they don't really relate to where I, I grew up and all the humor that, that comes from there. So what are the jokes? I'm saying, what are the sort of common jokes that um, can relate to just human beings? I'm saying, I know there's certain, um, you know, from comedians like Ashley Blaker has made a splash recently. So he's sort of pointing out a lot of the oddities of being a from person. Do you have a certain, I guess, like theme in your jokes or like kind of where do you get your inspiration from? Yeah, so I have many themes and depending on, on, of course, like, who the audience? Sometimes the audience are grand rabbis, and I can't do the same, the same jokes. But I, I, nevertheless, I will say jokes there, and most of the jokes are, um, uh, you know, um, Torah things that that you know are humorous. 
and and funny. But in the Hasidic community, I can make fun of certain things that we are used to. For example, the streimel that is becoming grow that is growing bigger and bigger and wider and wider as the years go by. And it's very hard when you travel, and you can make so much fun about that yeah. when you travel. How you take a circle and you put it in there, and my solution <laughs> on having an inflatable streimel that you can fold and. So that's something that relates to Hasidim that are used to that struggle. But yeah. then there are other, then there are non-Jewish communities that I introduce myself and as the Hasidim, yeah. and and I said, you know, there's once a guy asked me, why do you Hasidim always wear black and white? And I explained to him that we always try to to connect to our roots and our sources. And and you know, you look at all the old pictures back in the 20s. <laughs> all these are black and white. So, so I go and I build on onto that theme and uh-huh. and. So people relate. They like to to hear them across that bridge and crack the ice and have a you know a good laugh together. So what about um what um would you have any like stories um in particular of people outside of the Hasidic community that heard you that met you that you know they told you afterwards that I thought that Hasidim were all super serious and didn't know how to f- have fun and you showed me a different side. Definitely, definitely. I've had that all over the world where people. Um, were like relieved. They 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 love that moment to see that a Hasidic, you know, I'm obviously Hasidic looking, and 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 uh, you know, a Hasidic uh, Jew that uh, made me laugh hysterically. I have countless stories. I I just have to think of a particular story. Um, you know, I I've I've done. Uh, I was once in Greece, and uh, it was an interesting story. It wasn't particularly the, the laughter side of me. It was more the, I have my other side of the, the singing mm-hmm. side. I was uh, with my wife and children in Greece for Passover. Mm-hmm. And uh, on Cholomoyed, we went out to the city there. There was an old synagogue there. And we were trying to find out if there was any Jews still living there. Mm-hmm. And uh, lo and behold, we were, we were told that there was a few houses down. There was uh, an old couple that lived there. So we went over, we knocked into the door. And he opens up the door and, you know, he had the greatest shock on his face. Like, whoa, how, who are you? Like, what's going, what's happening here? He looked like we were like angels dropped from the, from the sky. What's going on? And of course we started, we smiled and we tried to speaking a little bit, you know, Hebrew, they spoke a little bit Hebrew. And, and, and he says, my, my wife is, is not well. And I, I, I apologize. I would have, I would have, uh, like he felt bad that he can't really host the ring. I said, can I go in and, and cheer up your wife? She says, so he says, she doesn't, she doesn't recognize me. She's, she hasn't spoken in 11 months. Hmm. So I said, okay, so let's just go in and maybe sing a little bit. He said, of course. So we went in there and, um, you know, and there was an old town in Greece. You have to imagine that the house was like these, uh, stone uh, round uh, uh, um, roofs um, um, of ceilings and the acoustics were amazing and I started singing one song and then I started singing Yerushalayim Shel Zahav and as I was singing Yerushalayim Shel Zahav Shel Nechoshet we realized that she was wording the mouth uh, Yerushalayim mm. the, wow. and, and she had tears in her eyes mm. so, so we asked her you remember Yerushalayim? And she said, Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim. And she started crying. And she got up and the, the family, um, their their daughter and son-in-law were there. And my wife was next to me and I told my wife, give her a hug, give her a hug. Mm-hmm. And we all we all together, we were having a moment that the family, family was crying and they couldn't believe it. And it was a moment of like, it was an interesting moment. I can't explain it. There was 
it was uh, we sat there for like another 20 minutes singing and having a good time. Then as we walked out, he was so emotional. And he said, wait, I have to give you something. And he went in the back and he, he brought us like a postcard and a pencil case. He used to be in the business of, uh, of um, uh, what's this called? Um, stationery. Mm-hmm. And he had some leftovers. So he gave it to us, with, you know, with all with his heart. And it was so I, I, I held it and I said, this postcard is the most valuable postcard I've ever had. Beautiful. So your approach, I mean, seems to be from a, a long time back um, to, I guess, sort of reach out to people outside of your community. Um, and I'd say this is another sort of um, maybe negative association that people have that they see Hasidim as very insular and not wanting to mix with the larger world. So were you raised like this or is this sort of a philosophy that you developed at a certain point? Like, how did you get to this place of, you know, kind of wanting to connect with people beyond, uh, you know, your little Dalit Amos? Um, I guess uh, it grew on me as I grew up and um, I got to know more and more communities, but I always liked that. I remember as a kid when I was 11 years old, I remember listening to Shlomo Karlbach and, and loving the way he said the stories hmm. because it was very inclusive and very, uh, very beautiful how he, tra- how he reframed certain things that, that may seem too extreme and, 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 and he put the sweetness in the, and everything. Mm-hmm. So I, I try to see uh, in, in everywhere, whenever I go anywhere, especially in a, in a, in a zone that it, it's not, it's especially a comfort zone. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, I remember I was once in Morocco. I made a kumzit in Morocco for, for Muslims on the street. <laughs> We, we like I walked with them and we, they, they loved me. We were sitting together and in the middle of the night from three o'clock in the morning to four, sitting there and we crashed the wedding and uh, we got to the wedding and it was a very from uh, Muslim wedding because the women were inside, the men were outside wow. and uh, the men were sitting outside just sipping tea and, and music was very beautiful music and I asked them, why don't you dance? And they looked at me like, it's not our minute, you know? <laughs> And I and I and I said, but it's a joyous moment. Let's dance. Where's the groom? And so the groom was there, and I and I started dancing, and we all started dancing. All we all started, and they were laughing and dancing together, and they you could see visibly they had a great time. And the brother of the groom, he asked me, "What's your Facebook?" What? <laughs> so gave my Facebook. And the next time when I when I said, and I'm going to Morocco, he says, "Oh, when can we meet? We want to sing again on the street." They loved wow. it. And he says, you remember me? You came to my brother's wedding and you got us to dance. So I, I was happy to see that he remembers that dancing moment with that Hasidic Jew, or he doesn't know what Hasidic is, but, you know, we look... The Jew, look, the really Jewish Jew. Yeah. Um, it's really beautiful, I guess, uh, laughter and music as a universal language. What about on the other side, um, I guess, sort of the most insular parts of your community? Um and again, the you know the stories that we're seeing at Project Makom are sort of the most extreme, the most abusive. But we've had people write in, people that never didn't actually even join the organization, but people just sort of wrote a passing message to us, like, "I never found joy. Like there was, I can't recall even a moment of joy in my childhood. My family never smiled." I wonder if some of this is, I don't know, sort of all that PTSD from the Holocaust and sort of generations of pogroms. Um, that maybe in certain families, they've forgotten how to smile or laugh. Have you ever come across someone that came from maybe a family missing some of that and was inspired by your laughter or your positivity? Definitely, yes. Um, I know exactly what what those people are talking about. And um, I had a, a song that I made a few years ago. And the, the words of the song is, the cover from the grape juice. Where's the cover of the grape juice? 
And to some, anyone, you'd say that you don't know what what's this whole lyric. But to some people, it was therapy because it was it, what's where the cover of the grape juice is something that fathers used to yell at the end of the meal when they were already stressed out from the whole week. And now the the cover is missing, and they would give they would yell at the children sometimes. So now people telling me, you know, my father always used to yell. And now, as soon as he's looking for it, we start singing the song and everyone's laughing. So there are people that are very, very, um, you know, like you said, it's after the Holocaust. They were raised in a very stressed fa- house with Nebuchadnezzar. Their parents lost their entire family. So we, I can't blame them. But definitely it's something that that is it's getting, I think it's getting, it's getting more, more, there's much more awareness now of, of like, of, of being able to to laugh and to and to and to, you know to be a little bit more open. I've seen I've seen uh, families that I've uh, I've spoken at and they were like nervous. The youngsters were nervous. My father is, not, is more of a serious type, so you know try to keep it very. I said what clean? I'm always clean. <laughs> no, try to keep it. Um, uh, I said from. I'm always very. It's very my my. My material is very good. Okay, change your hat. Put on a normal hat, you know. <laughs> so, and then, I, and then I say, don't worry about it. You see, your father will. And I go over to the father with a big smile and I start talking to him, and he smiles back and he laughs. And then I start saying my jokes, and he's on the floor laughing, and everybody's happy. Hmm. Maybe it's the ones that don't laugh enough are the ones that need it the most. Um, I wonder if that's they need Hundred percent. Has there, I mean, it sounds like you've had a very positive reception of yours, you know, telling your jokes to Grand Rebbies. Has there ever been any pushback? Um, I, I feel like there always is pushback no matter what, but anything of like... Of course. Mm-hmm. I remember once I went to London. I was called for a job to a job in London. And uh, that organization who called me was more nervous of having me featured than uh, having their name on. So they didn't put their name. They just wrote that I'm going to make, make a show with their Chalamoit. And uh, they called me, you know, and as I got there, people come over to me. They said, oh, I'm so sorry. You, you saw it. I said, what? Basically, they, they, they circled a, a full color, um, um, full color p- um, paper all over the, the London, all the synagogues, writing that, uh, that uh, I, um, nobody should, uh, you know, Moshe of Lights. But you know what happened? Mm-hmm. What happened was that... Hasidic rabbis who have shuls there called me and said, I heard what it was done, and it's so and it's not, it's so injustice. I want you to come for in my shul. I want to make a statement. Hmm. And then other people did it. And it happened that I made 10 times the amount that I was uh, supposed to hmm. uh, because of because of that. And you know, everyone was trying to, you know, there's always some kind of extreme uh, fractions in every part. And sometimes they have the pen, you know, they have a, they have a way how to print out their, their anger or their stress. But most of the people were very nice about it and they were so welcoming. And I got the biggest support from the fromest people. So there's always, there's always a place where people can, uh, you know, you know, you always find some extreme uh, views, but the, the, the most, the most encounters I've had was very positive and very beautiful. Do you think that you've inspired any uh, young comedians, any young badchans in training have seen you in action and say, when I grow up, I'm going to make people laugh for a living? <laughs> um, you know, I, I hope so. I've, I've, I've seen and I've heard, you know, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar, in the Hasidic, in the insular Hasidic community, there's officially, there's no social media outlets, but there are 
there is a way. They have a thing called Komavasa, which is like a mm-hmm. sort of like a news station and everything, but it's on the phone. Mm-hmm. So they get to call in. It's like a hotline, and they get to press buttons and hear about politics and hear about news, not sports, but anything else like. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, <laughs> You know, lottery and weather and traffic and and analyzations and and everything you music whatever you want they have there, and there are, I am very good friends with him and he has hundreds and thousands of people calling in people who would never have an outlet, hmm. they listen there and I go every before Purim I go up there, and I give the I give my episode I I, I basically you know uh, do some Purim like um, humorous episodes of daily of day day to day life. And it, it's infused with a lot of messages of, of, of you know, of, that, that people can find. And, and a lot of people who would never really book me or get to listen to me, over there they have uh, somewhere that they, and they love it because I get the feedback all over wherever I go. The firmest people come over and say, my son got me to, to listen to my son. I mean, my, they're, they're embarrassed to say that they called, but their son, that's okay. And, and they love it. So I've seen people that... Um, really, 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 you know, get connected and, and they love it. So do you have a sense of who your followers are? So I'm looking here on Twitter, you have almost 13,000 followers and you have a blue check next to your name. So can we just discuss how this happens? Cause I don't have a blue check next to my name. <laughs> well, I, 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 so I didn't even know about it. I was, I woke up one day and I saw a blue check and I was like, whoa, what's that? Kosher, and you're kosher. Someone explained to me, it's like a blue Beckett you know, the blue Beckett <laughs> So the blue bag, it means really nothing, but it means that you're, you're someone that you someone's going to ask about that should know it's you. But it, it's like a blue bag. So, but uh, the truth is, how it happened was that uh, a friend of mine, or a, a fan of mine, or I didn't even know him before, but he reached out to me, and he's very familiar with with you know all these. Uh, uh, you know, he asked me, Do, "Would you want to have a blue check on the on, on your Twitter?" I said, could I? I don't even know. Like, of course. I would. <laughs> so, and that's the rest. Uh, he was working on my behalf. And then, and uh, then. They made, the case, they made the case to Twitter and Twitter, Twitter believed it. Yes. No, it's, uh, no, they, all they had to do is to prove that, that I'm a public, public figure. I believe you can also get it. And, and uh, it's a procedure. I don't know what it is, but I can get you his name. And Yeah. All right. <laughs> let's do that after the interview now. Um, yeah, I think you did it for Lieber Schmelzer and for uh, other celebrities as well. All right, let's do it. And what about what's next? Any anything you know? Any upcoming shows or any upcoming uh, plans of you know that our listeners can uh, look out for? Yeah, oh, look out for! I'm going to perform uh, next. I'm going to go to Italy for Pesach. Nice. I'll be performing there. And uh, when I come back, I'm gonna go back a little bit later to be in Kerestir in Hungary, and then in Russia. Um, I'm going. So well, most of my shows that are not really like broadcasted live or somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, it's sometimes, you know, some clips go out, but most of the time I, I try to tell people don't, don't spread it around because the humor in Hasidic world is very, very limited. That's one thing that no comedian in the, in the secular world can, un, can really understand how I do that. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you take the, the humor in the, in the secular world, and try this stuff. And I, I remember once I had a, a, a one of my the people who hired me. He wanted to have something a chiddush, so he called up a very famous um, secular comedian, not a secular, a goisha comedian. And uh, it was it just didn't work because the people didn't connect, and it was it was. 
So then um, I went there and um, and I explained. It's an interesting thing because in the in the Hasidic in the humor in our circles, you have to take off. First of all, there's no dirty humor. Mm-hmm. So okay, so that's already fifty percent off. Then there's no there's no uh, um, celebrities again. Like, you know, Britney Spears, Carrie right. here. I mean, it's all, nobody knows who you're talking about. Right. Or like you know certain certain things they're not interested in. Like uh, you know right. who you know. So you have to. And then once you already have your circle, I never make fun of personal of people like right. some of them. I make fun of a, of an interesting character or of. A, uh, some type of person, but not not of people. So you can't really hurt anyone. Right. You have to be sensitive. And uh, in the in the Hasidic circle where you are, you should be careful not to mention the Rebbe's brother. You know, right. <laughs> you know there's always something you have to be very careful. Right. Well, you are doing an incredible job. It's really wonderful um, to see the way that you are really reaching out to the entire spectrum from the non-Orthodox and non-Jewish world to the parts of the Hasidic world that need the most laughter. Um, and it's been a pleasure to hear your story and we wish you continued Hatlacha. Thank you so much. And I would encourage any Hasid who is listening that whenever you walk on the street and you see someone else, it's not my suggestion, it's, in, it's still in the Gemara, just give a smile and say hi and just let them know that you can smile and be happy. So nobody should have any questions. Love it. Okay, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. You can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.